Hey, it's Mike, and like many of you, I love staying active. It makes me feel better. It helps me enjoy a better life. But whether you're a world-class athlete or someone keeping that dream alive like me, you want to make sure you can have someone who can handle the injuries that are going to arise. That's where Synergy Sports and the great Dr. Michael Hatrack come into play. He's been my guy for nearly a decade, and I'm telling you, he has healed just about every part of my body that's in existence. Without him, I don't know what I would have done. Probably would have gotten unnecessary surgery, or maybe I just would have stopped being active altogether. That's no good. Michael Hackrack has worked on over 400 NFL players. His reputation is national. It means even if you don't live in Georgia and you're listening to this podcast, you'll want to check him out. It's worth the trip to make sure that you get healed and your body is feeling its very best. If you've got back pain, knee pain, shoulder pain, no matter what the injury is, Synergy Sports and Dr. Hatrack will take terrific care of you. Just check out the website, SynergyReleaseSports.com. That's Synergy with an S, ReleaseSports.com. You can also find a link for them on our website, JCandMorgan.com. Let the incredible staff at Synergy take care of you so you can feel your very best. Mike here for Elite Roofing and restoration, chances are you're a homeowner, you're going to have to have that roof replaced at some point. Could be because of wind or hail damage. Could be because it's just that time the roof is old and you don't want to take any more chances. Go ahead and call Elite Roofing and Restoration. They will take terrific care of you as they have for me over the years. They provide exceptional roofing services. They offer a highly knowledgeable staff on insurance claims for roof repairs and replacements as well as an extensive catalog of materials and color to ensure your roof looks as good as it performs. So how do you do it? Well, you just start off, you can go to the website, EliteRoofingGA.com. That's EliteRoofingGA.com. Go ahead and fill out the form, get connected with the fine folks at Elite Roofing and Restoration, and they will take care of the rest for you. Elite Roofing and Restoration. Don't settle for second best. It's that time. Your fix is here. College football is a year-round discussion with these two. Here's J.C. and Morgan. Mike Morgan of ESPN and J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports have you covered. Beginning right now. Welcome, everybody. It is another installment of J.C. and Morgan. J.C. Sherbert, Mike Morgan coming at you. J.C. is number 199. I almost get a little verklempt when I when I think about that number because we're coming up on 200 of these things. 200 podcasts. We started this thing on Skype. Yeah, we we, had, we didn't have professional sounding microphones. It sounded like two guys talking into tin cans on a wire. Uh, didn't really know what the hell we were doing, especially me. You kind of knew. I had no idea uh, from a technical standpoint, and and uh, since then we've. We've grown with a little engine that could uh, to the point where we now have to we've had to step up our game. We've had to do certain things. We've had to launch a website, jcandmorgan.com. We've had to be more interactive. We've had the ability to now have some great guests that we've brought to you every now and then. We need a little bit of a step back, JC. We need to step back from the guest parade. We had a great line, you know, line of guests there, the, the quarterback derby and then Baldy. And, and we'll have some more. Uh, already got Pete Thamel of ESPN, kind of the top insider coming up later on in July, some other folks, but every now and then just needs to be you and me going back to the old school dialogue back and forth. We'll get to a number of things. We have a mailbox now. Look at this. I mean, the, the technology, the progress (laughs) just continues. 
week by week. So you folks out there that have questions or subjects you want us to address, you can go to that website, hit the mailbox link on the right-hand side. Again, jcmorgan.com. We've got several emails. We'll read about uh, uh, five or six. Uh, the deep dive is back. Taking a deep dive on Colorado football. Because believe it or not, they played football before Deion Sanders there for about 125 years. And believe it or not, they were actually really good. So what happened? We'll talk about it. And then, of course, we'll close out with a little five and dime uh, movies that uh, perhaps you've seen. Maybe five times. That's a nickel. Maybe ten times. That's a dime. Maybe a hundred times. That's a Ben Franklin. You just never know. Or maybe it's a movie... Uh, every now and then, JC will throw one at me that I've never even heard of. You just never know. Uh, but we'll get to that uh, later on. Uh, JC, I can't help but think as we're recording this, I don't, don't mean to laugh. It's not funny at all. Um, but there is a current, speaking of deep dive, submarine drama going on. Are you following this story as we as we talk right now? Yeah, we talked about it on uh, uh, another podcast today. And uh, I usually have a radio spot. Um, first thing in the morning on Tuesdays down in, in Columbia, but the co-host took the day off and didn't tell me. So it was, uh, he had a big father's day weekend. So I'm pretty sure it we discussed it there too. Cause that's like an off topic smorgasbord, uh, sometimes, but, and I, I'm claustrophobic. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the thought of getting in one of those things, I, I, <laughs> I even don't like watching Yellow Submarine, like the Beatles, because uh, they're crammed in there and underwater and all that. Uh, I'm claustrophobic. I have a fear of drowning. Uh, the 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 thought that I would be, although I, I find the Titanic wreckage uh, very fascinating, and I'll, I'll watch Shark Week and 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 I'll watch deep dives to wreckage and stuff all the time. I watch it, but I just being there. No interest. And um, I, I I think that, you know, I'm not the most trusting person in the world. And, and my goal in life is it, it, we all got to go out sometime. But my goal in life is not to go out because somebody's stupid or careless. Somebody made a mistake somewhere. That's why I don't like to fly a whole lot because um, <laughs> there's pilot era and stuff or, or engineering era, if you will, with Boeing. And so my, 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 that's my goal. And I, I would just worry that somebody would mess it up. I've seen that movie open water way too many times. What oh, happened to them? Seen that. Yeah. Stupid people, a stupid person that's forgot to count. Story. Yeah. A stupid person forgot to count. Next thing you know, he's bitten in half by a shark. She's drowning herself to avoid getting eaten. Uh, you want to tell people what that to... story? Cause I just saw that for the first time. This movie's like 10 years old. Oh yeah, and, it's it's a, it's a it's a it's a classic, a cult yeah. classic. And by the way, we're recording this on the forty eighth anniversary of the release of Jaws. Okay, which again, we already covered that on Five and Dime. Um, it doesn't get any better than Jaws for me. Period. No. Like it's it's right up there with Shawshank, and then you could take any of your, uh, you know, gangster movie, pick one: Goodfellas, Godfather. Uh, casino, I'll, I'll put it all up there, and, th- and there's my top three. When people ask me that question, I always kind of crumble under the pressure because it's a lot to ask, and there's different genres. Where, where does a comedy fit? But anyway, so Jaws came out, and, and I'm always looking for those kind of movies. So one day I start looking for a movie that has to do with the ocean, and I found Open Water. And 
it, it's based on a true story of a couple because we've all done this, right? We've all gone out in the Caribbean somewhere and uh, you go on what they call an excursion, right? And that could be anything. That could be a, a, a sunset cruise. That could be a, uh, a snorkeling tour, whatever the case may be. Well, these, these are like hardcore divers. And uh, are you scuba certified? No. Yeah, I didn't think so. All right, nah, that's either. not that's not my bag of tea. That's not yeah. your bag. It is my bag. I need to do it. Yeah. I'm just I've just been too uh lazy for lack of a better word to 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 do that. But I, I love the water and I love underwater. And mm. I have a I have a a slight fear, but also but the, the the love for adventure and the love for the water is greater than the fear. So um I, I'm fascinated by all that stuff. So these people are, 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 they're all divers. So they go on a diving trip. You know, in real life, this is what I do. When I watch a movie like this based on a true story, that's an automatic deep dive for years truly. So let me tell you what Morgan does. Morgan gets on the internet and starts looking for the discrepancies, what, what actually happened. So the movie makes it sound like it's off the Caribbean. It's actually off, uh, I believe, Australia, New Zealand in real life. Little footnote there. Not that it matters. And and this couple, they're they're big time divers. They go out with the rest of this group, and they go out in the boat. Well, what's supposed to happen is when you when the dive is over, all right, kids, time to get back up. So everybody gets back up. They turn in their you know fins. They put their their oxygen down. Whatever. <laughs> the the guy who's running the tour is supposed to do a head count. The guy who was doing the tour miscounted. And didn't notice there were two people missing. So their boat is gone. They go all the way back. And it's not like they realized that, like, oh, man, where, you know, where are my car keys? No, no, they go all the way back to land. They, they check everybody off the boat. Again, these, nobody knows everybody. So nobody's like, hey, what about the, the Johnsons? Where are the Johnsons? Nobody says anything. Couples go back. They're grabbing dinner. Everybody's doing their thing. And finally, somebody goes back to the boat, somebody part of the crew, and just, just needless to say, this tour company is out of business. They go back, and they realize, wait a minute, we're missing two people. By the time they do that, these two people have been floating in the middle of the ocean, shark-infested waters, for almost 24 hours, right? Here's another discrepancy, JC. They don't really know for sure they got eaten by sharks, because there was no evidence of that, but clearly they disappeared. They either drowned or they got eaten by sharks. It's a better story if they got eaten by sharks. But um, I don't know where I was going with all that, but you actually said that movie, and I got excited because I just saw it for the first time. Absolutely, yeah. It, it's stupid people. Like the stupid people that didn't count and, and make, they, were, they were careless with their counting. To me, if I, if I were running that, if I were doing that and that was my job, that would be the number. I mean, I would almost sit there if I were paranoid and err on the side of caution and wait. Uh, oh my! Like if I even if I had, wasn't missing anybody, I mean, I would be. I would be like, I would be very paranoid about all that. Um, but but you know, carelessness and stupidity cost those people their lives. Getting back to the submarine that's down at the bottom of the or that are trying to find now for the Titanic, I guarantee you, there's some malfunction. Some piece of carelessness, something that happened, and, and now they're missing. Okay. And I just don't, you know, with a situation like if something is powerful and dangerous and uh, where we don't belong, 
the ocean. <laughs> we don't belong there, you know. Uh, I just I wouldn't take the risk. I would be worried that so exactly what probably has happened to these folks happened. Now I hope they find them alive. I really do. I hope it's just something where maybe a battery went dead or something. But whose job was it to charge the damn batteries? I mean, that you know, I'm just I get back to it. I'm like, this has to be something. Unless you believe in sea monsters and ghosts. Now, that would be a completely different animal. Or a gigantic, you know, at that depth, there may be something big enough that could just swallow that thing whole and we'll never, ever see it. And they're in the belly of something that we would be terrified if it ever surfaced. Um, they but, they know, are. Oh, sorry, go ahead. So did they find them? No, 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 no. I don't have that kind of breaking news. Believe no. me, if if I did, I would have, you know, jumped up, yelled and said, wait, JC, I got it. I got it. They're, they found them. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's right next to DiCaprio from the Titanic, still holding a piece of ice for Rose. Um, the, this this piece of uh, machinery, and I know we're way off track. We'll get into the, what we normally talk about here in a second. It, they went down 13. 4,000 meters, 13,120 uh, feet. A, a meter is about a yard, okay? So to put that in perspective, 4,000 meters. If, if you think of a meter, roughly a yard, we're talking 400 football fields. Yeah. 400 football fields. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people sign up for this. My wife brought up a great question. Like, why would anybody do that? Well, it's the same reason why people would sign up to go to outer space. I mean, I don't know which I'd be more scared of, sitting in a tube connected to a rocket um, and, and going to <laughs> going completely off the planet or getting into a, another tube with a handful of people and going uh, 13,120 feet to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. I, I don't know which is worse. And on top of that, like, when they when they put this tube when they put the tube in they they have to like uh, lock it shut with like nuts and bolts like there's no way out you are in that tube uh, and you've got like 96 hours worth of oxygen and that so I mean technically they still could be alive but my goodness what a uh, yeah that's a, why I'm not getting get, the tube is not like it, it's not very spacious. No, I it's mean, not at all. you know, you're it's just kind of crammed in there. I, like, I don't even, like I said, I don't even like watching like the yellow submarine life aquatic. You know, there were some Russian uh, Navy uh, sailors that unfortunately their submarine ran out of power. <laughs> Russian military, pretty strong outfit, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like they ran out of power and they, they fell to the bottom of the ocean. And that was, it was even deeper than where Titanic is a few years ago. And it was sad because they were down there and they were fine because the sub held up under the pressure, but they, nobody, there's nothing you can do. Cause you can't at that depth, you obviously can't evacuate somebody or open anything. You, you'd you have to have a claw to pull the thing up and they just end up, they ended up dying. And, you know, I, I don't want to go out that way. No, I don't want to go out cause somebody forgot to charge the batteries or, uh, or, or any of that. And, you know, outer space probably be the same thing I've seen. You know, too many uh, mishaps with uh, the SpaceX rockets and stuff. Yeah. And uh, I, just, not, I don't even like to fly me. because of that. I, I mean, I'm not even like a great. I fly a lot, but I'm I'm not even a great flyer. I have to like not think about that. I'm in an aluminum tube going 600 miles an hour, being catapulted through the air by 
you know, a guy that may have just walked away from a $125 bar tab at the airport <laughs> flying me. <laughs> yeah, I've never been a great flyer either. And on top of that, just to make it worse, I am addicted to a show called Airline Disasters, which I watch on the regular in between flights, just so I can screw with my head a little bit more. Me too, because you're like, how did they get there? And how would this happen? And what would be going through your mind if that happened? Absolutely. But anyway, God, we're, we're I, I way it, off topic. I know, we were way, we're way, 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 off, way topic. off topic. I'm not going to be um, able to sleep tonight, Mike. I Thanks. know. That's, that's, this is what we do. We like to mess with people's heads. Uh, we also like to talk some football, and we'll do that. We got, uh, we got the mailbox coming up. I mentioned that deep dive, the five and diamond. Yes, the JC5. The JC5, That the five hot topics According to the mad mind, the mad scientist, that is J.C. Sherbert. I looked at your five topics with a glance this morning, but really I wanted them fresh. I wanted to take them away. I don't even know what's coming here. So go ahead, throw the J.C. five at me. What are we starting with? Well, there's a button there that I forgot to push. That's funny. That's part of the show. I intentionally did it. We'll, we'll take that out in post-production. I, I needed time to uh, to pull the JC5 up. And, of course, this is uh, sort of you know similar to the Haney, hot Haney 5. And the hot JC5 doesn't sound as good as the hot Haney 5. It doesn't so roll no... the tongue as much, but you know Haney's got a music yeah. career. He's always welcome back. It's a rock star. Not a controversy. Uh, he, he, we yeah. didn't test him for PEDs, nothing it's... like that. JC5. Okay, uh, so number one, San Diego State, to me, breaking up with a solid six to chase a seven and a seven and a half. Uh, you're saying the pack is the seven, the Big 12 is a seven and a half? I'm with you on the pack. I'm not with you on the Big 12. I think the Big 12 is better than a seven and a half. I think the Big 12 especially when she's all said and done. I think the Big 12 is going to be smelling like a rose. I, I think the Big 12 is going to add Colorado. I think the Big 12 is not going to be done there. I think they're actually going to be in fairly good shape. I mean, can they play replace Texas, Oklahoma? No, not per se. They're going to have to do it in numbers more than on two big brands. But I, I think that I think the Big 12 is 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 good. The pack might be calling the pack a seven might be generous at this point, JC. I mean, it, the pack might be might be a three <laughs> at this point because the pack is uh, the pack has kind of let itself go a little bit, right? You know, and the pack has developed some issues, and uh, the, the the pack is packs had better better days. Um, I, I don't know what's going on. I'd love to I'd love to be a fly on the wall for those meetings to see how they're um, kind of keeping their calm yeah, over all this. But, yeah, I think, look, the, the pack has to make some moves here. So I'm, I, I'm not going to criticize the move of the pack. And if you're San Diego State, leaving them out in the West, you're not going to miss them out in the West. Um, but I, I, this is just this is a story for now. But the bigger story, we're still waiting on it. I don't know how much longer they can drag this out. Uh, but you still have no TV deal. You still have a bunch of teams being told or programs being told, oh, no, no, no worry. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. You just stay right here in the friendly pack and we're going to be we're going to be good. Meanwhile, they're all entertaining phone calls from other leagues. And meanwhile, Mr. Klyovkov continues to get kicked in the Klyovkov and has no TV deal. 
Yeah, I, here's my worry. What if now this is I think it's just risky because what if the Pac-12 dissolves and then the Big 12 has no interest in taking San Diego State, mm. or, and then they can't? Are they going to go back to the Mountain West? I mean, I you know I think <laughs> the Mountain West is a pretty solid conference. It's a nice regional yeah. conference and. You know, some years in some sports, they're they're actually pretty good, like in men's basketball. But uh, huh? I don't know, man. I, I just think it's a, it was a, it was a little bold there. I'm I'm with you. I I think that uh, in I like what the Big Twelve's doing. I do believe that it it kind of smells a little bit like Conference USA back when. Remember, Conference USA decided they were taking all comers. And they actually had some pretty decent programs in there at the time. Six, but sixteen teams from coast to coast, and it collapsed. And that's why they that's why the Mountain West is there now because they all they broke off from CUSA. Well, you know why but, it collapsed? Yeah. So before there was um, Larry Scott at the pack, thinking he was smarter than everybody else, and trying to start his own network and like twenty seven different channels that nobody wants to carry. There was Conference USA deciding, well, we don't need ESPN. Then they said, well, we don't need Fox. Then they were they were playing their games on Facebook and, and a network called Stadium that lasted uh, for two years. Now they're out of business. They now have a new conference commissioner, so I'm not – Stadium's still around. Stadium's still around. Are they uh, still around? Jerry Reinsdorf is buying it. Okay, well, here's but what I know. I remember. They don't I have remember. college football, I don't believe, though. So no, stadium. no, I know, I know. I remember. Yeah, they don't even. But I, I, I don't know what they've been doing exactly. Okay. But, uh, so apologies to, to Stadium. They're, yeah, they're around, stadium. but they, but they are out of the business of college football. Mm-hmm. So, so if you were Conference USA and you're like, let's be trendy and let's go on a social media platform, that was a disaster, and people couldn't watch their games. And programs said this is this is ridiculous, and they left. And then basically they just kept going down the rung of the ladder, down the rung of the ladder. Mm-hmm. And now you look at Conference USA and it's, you know, it's okay. Again, they've salvaged it and now they do have TV deals in place, but that's what happened at Conference USA. I will say this for Conference USA. They were ahead of the game in terms of what to name their league, because almost everybody is basically Conference mm-hmm. USA. The big 10 is teams in California. The big 12 is about to have teams far, far West. I believe they already have, everything from uh, Texas to Orlando, Florida, and UCF. Uh, The ACC is all over the place, and the SEC has obviously expanded their footprint. So maybe Conference USA had the right idea on what to name a conference and to have 16 teams in it. Everything that they subsequently did after that was counterproductive, and they they pretty much went from the top group of five league before we even had that distinction to now they're near the bottom. Yeah, the Sun Belt has path passeth them tremendously. The Sun Belt's the Sun actually Belt's the been on the rise, I think, dude. I think the Sun Belt is the best group five league in in football. Baseball uh, too. And in baseball and who knows, you know, the, remember now, Houston's leaving. Cincinnati's leaving uh the, the American. American. So what is that conference going to look like in basketball? You know, we don't talk a ton of basketball, but I'll tell you this, the Sun Belt could be the best group five conference in football, basketball, and baseball when it's all said and done. The Fun Belt, baby. Fun Belt. Love the Fun Belt. All right, so Mike, knowing you are not a recruiting guy, 
Like, like yeah, you like recruiting, you? you follow it. You you know, you're not, you know. I but I didn't want to get your you. take on this. Florida is on fire right now. Uh, your 10,000-foot view, does this surprise you? And when you look at it, they're getting a lot of big uglies, big line of scrimmage guys. That's kind of the saving plan, build the lines of scrimmage with big athletic dudes. Uh, does it surprise you right now, given kind of the the situation with the quarterback, with the collective and the, the down year and, and the Florida fan base not necessarily being, you know, what I would call confident about this year, enthusiastic. Does it surprise you that they're number three in the country right now in recruiting? Or are you one of those that goes, well, it's Florida? I'm one of those that goes, well, not completely well, it's Florida because it's been Florida for a while and yet they haven't been able to dominate recruiting, right? So, I mean, they haven't dominated recruiting since Urban Meyer. I know they've had years where they where they did well, uh, but they certainly haven't dominated it the way they had they did when, when Urban was, was running things in Gainesville, which seems like forever ago. They just lost a quarterback, am I right, that, that changed his commitment from one school to another? Interesting story there. He was a 2025 guy. Okay. Okay, but it had a 5.6 GPA and credits, and he's now graduating and going to be in Ole Miss at Oxford. Get this, this season with all those wow. other quarterbacks. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. But, yeah, but yeah, they did lose one. But they, they have a five-star guy committed for – yeah. The 2024 class. Well, look, I, I'm not surprised. First off, if Billy Napier wants to remain the head coach, this is the only way he's going to do it. Uh, I, I don't think Billy Napier is going to be successful uh, at Florida without dominating recruiting, without being a top 10 program in recruiting. And some might say, well, that's everybody has to do it that way. Not necessarily. There are some people that are, they just do so many other things well that they, they, over, I don't want to say overachieve, but they, they succeed beyond what the recruiting rankings would indicate, right? We talk about this all the time, whether it's TCU, whether it's Cincinnati. I'm trying to think of the, the best example of that in the SEC would be, right? Like who gets the most bang for their buck in terms of wins in spite of not the most stellar recruiting classes, right? Because Bama, Georgia, LSU are at the top every year. Right, and and they're winning a ton of games. Yeah, I think right now it would be Kentucky. I think probably yeah, before, when Dan before Dan Mullen left uh, Mississippi State, it was probably Mississippi yep. State. That's right. That's right. Um, and I think Arkansas, if they hadn't ended so poorly last year, you could probably make a, a point for for Sam Pittman um, before that. Yeah, before last yeah. year for sure. And then but, last uh, year but, happened, and it's like whoa. Yeah. Kentucky consistently, though, I mean, Minus last they had year. a down year last year and still went to a bowl, right? Um, which you know, the, it, if the music's the Music City Bowl used to not be a down year for them, that used to be a great year for them. Uh, and so, uh, you know, and, and you look at it, and they don't always recruit in the top twenty or whatever, but they they've been consistent. So I, th- I think that would be the SEC's version. Yeah, I, I think that's that's the perfect uh, example of that. So anyway, my my initial reaction is I'm a little surprised to see not top ten, but maybe you know what are they third right now? And I guess that's subject to change. Yeah, but, it's a legit third though. I mean, they've been on they've been really getting gas. But but I mean, look, this is why they not to say that Billy Napier 
can't coach ball, right? But this is why they brought him in. He's kind of the antithesis of – like Dan Mullen had a rep as one of the best play callers in college football. That's not what Billy Napier had. Billy Napier had a rep of, first off, overachieving at Louisiana in the Sun Belt. Uh, and secondly, as a guy with, with his background, uh, was going to recruit as you know what off, which is what Dan Mullen wasn't going to do. So this is what they brought Billy Napier in. Now you got to win games. Now you got to actually compete with Georgia – uh, and, and get to Atlanta at some point. They won six games last year. If you go by Vegas odds, they'll be lucky to win more than that this year. And I don't know how patient that fan base is going to be with Mr. Napier. So it's a good thing for him that they're actually having some recruiting success. All right. So eight is enough. I feel like we've talked this to death. I know I've talked it to death, but uh, I read an article in the athletic by a columnist and, you know, some of the, she did mention reward the teams with the toughest schedules. And and that's been something that I've been preaching, right, Mike. Mm -hmm. But then the whole narrative afterward was basically that automatically the leagues that play nine games have the toughest schedules. And like I'm just sitting there looking, like Florida. We just talked about the Gators, for example. 2024, how many conference games do they play? They play eight. You know, they also play UCF, Miami, and FSU out of conference, <laughs> which I, th- I think that's admirable to, to take that that in-state challenge on. But that's still a tough schedule because their SEC schedule in 2024 is ridiculous. The whole the whole 2024 slate will be one of again things can change. Yeah, But if you just go on paper, that'll go down as one of the toughest schedules we've seen in a long time. Yeah, unbelievable. And and so so you're telling me that Penn State's trip to Purdue in mid-October, that extra game, right, uh, automatically tips that schedule over something like Florida. And I think the answer for most people comes is like, well, no, because Florida's got all this. Well, let me just back up. Georgia has Clemson that year. And then Georgia Tech, who's blah, 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 blah. Are you telling me it tips it in favor of Georgia because the SEC plays eight games? No. The only teams in this league that every year consistently play three cupcakes and and, and an state an in-state rival, the only team that does that uh, Kentucky. is Kentucky. Now, and they're, they've got a formula, and they're not – you look at their future schedule, and they're not deviating from it. Everybody else has like – I mean, there's some wild road trips, man. Mississippi State's going to Pullman to play Washington State. Down the road, they're going to Texas Tech. Like Leach wanted to play his old teams, it looks like. Uh, Ole Miss is going to Georgia State. And then, you know, they got some tough group of five road games coming up. Missouri's going back Kansas and Illinois. South Carolina's got NC State and North Carolina. I mean, it's it's not like the SEC teams consistently do that. I mean, and like, look, every now and then, and I know – I know everybody can't see the forest through the trees with Georgia's schedule this year, but Georgia did schedule or had a road game with Oklahoma in Norman right. scheduled this year. Right. And right. then they had to drop it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think uh, Auburn sometimes will pull a year where they've like, ah, well, we're playing Troy, you know, <laughs> and their, their other three are not that good. But if you look down the road, the league is really overscheduled. Um I just don't see where playing that – I mean, because, look, not all things are created equal. I love the Big Ten. 
I think the schools up here have a, a lot going for them, fan base resource-wise. It's a different brand of football. It's good football. People care. Uh, and, and that's why they're and they're making money. But let's not confuse ourselves with the middle of these leagues and, and start going, you know, let's not start confusing ourselves and saying, oh, well, you know, Iowa and Purdue are the same as Ole Miss and Auburn or, or, or Arkansas or a you know, some of that stuff. Let's not confuse ourselves with that. It's still tough. So, you know, my take is, is that eight, you know, the, the, the tougher schedule argument with eight or nine uh, should be thrown out of the window because I, I think that just the quality you face in the SEC each and every week is just superior to those leagues that play nine games. Yeah. Well, T- t- two thoughts. Um, number one, you know, the, the Joel Klatz of the world who are just, they have fatigue of watching the SEC dominate the college football playoff, dominate the national championship scene. So the, the only thing they have is they, they'll focus on two things. It's a weak argument, but they'll focus on two things. Number one, will they play eight and we play nine? Okay. And number two, Look at the SEC. Look who they play that week in late November where they play all those 1AA teams. Okay. Um, Look at the Big Ten schedules. They're front-loaded with patsies. Okay. I mean, they love feasting on weak MAC opponents every September, and I'm supposed to feel like that's that's really going out of your way to be more competitive. The fact of the matter is, if you look at it, if you look at the the, the whole 12-game slate for these teams, and you compare SEC to Big Ten, I'm sorry, the Big Ten is just not that they don't have the depth. They don't. So you you might play nine versus eight. It doesn't make you a stronger league. It doesn't give you a better case. And when we get to a 12-team playoff in 2024, I hate to tell you this, Joel and others, there's going to be three loss SEC teams that get in. It, it's going to happen because they're going to look at it and they're going to say, my goodness, even though they played one less conference game, they did play a formidable out-of-conference opponent or two, or some cases three. And the, the fact of the matter is, if you look at their conference grind, their eight is better than your nine. That's what it just simply comes down to. This is not complicated math. Their eight is better than your nine almost every single season. I don't wish it were that way. I don't have a magic wand and and say SEC be b- better than the Big Ten every year, but it is now. Ohio State and Michigan are the clear exceptions, and that's great, great for them. They they don't take a backseat to anybody. World of respect for both those programs. Ton of respect for both those programs. But unfortunately, you take a year like last year, where all those other tier two Big Ten programs seemingly were down at the same time: Wisconsin, Michigan State. Uh, Minnesota, you know, and so what do we have to hang our hat on? If you're the big 10 outside of Ohio state, Michigan, it wasn't a whole heck of a lot, Michigan state, another one. So, and here's the other thing I would say, and I still think we're going to nine, by the way, eventually the sec is, but in the meantime, if you think that when this league goes to nine, if you're a season ticket holder, because I think a lot of the people that want to go to nine are like, hey, look, I pay this much money for my season tickets, and I only get these six, seven home games every year, and I want as many quality opponents as you can get. Okay, let me tell you what's going to happen. The moment they go to nine, one of those out-of-conference games that you think is pretty juicy that you can sink your teeth into, it's gone. It's gone. 
coaches will, will adapt and they'll still find a way to get minimum one Patsy. And in some cases two. coaches are going to do that because it's, they do what works for them. And they also do what JC, the path of works better when your, your microphone is on least resistance. There we Sorry. go. The path of least resistance. And so when you, when you look at that, if you think when this, when this does go to nine, that every one of your home games is just going to be juicy as hell. It's not. It's not. It's just the, one of those out-of-conference games that you see or have seen lined up in years past where you're like, that's a nice, intriguing matchup versus the ACC. Or that's that's pretty cool to have a, a Big 12 team come in here and play. It's gone in all likelihood that that's, that's gone for most programs. So just nine is coming. I'm, I'm I'm absolutely convinced of that, but I'm not convinced that nine is going to mean that your overall 12 game slate is going to be that much more difficult. Coaches will adapt and they'll just tilt the scale where it's lighter uh, on the, on the out of conference end. So, you know, whenever there's conference expansion rumors, you know, these, uh, these uh, accounts pop up, <laughs> I remember back uh, when when uh, Texas was going to join the the uh, the Pac-12 or whatever during all that. There was some you know Cowboy John account or, or something like that guy from Chicago that claimed to have scoop and yeah, it's always fun to, to watch these guys and you know there's some straight up fake accounts out there. But uh, Pete Thamel is not one of those. Uh, he's he's a a good reporter and has sources. So he mentions the other day. And I thought I've I've been told this for a while, but then I've been told, yeah, there's so much misinformation out there. Uh, I think fans look at it like who's got the best. Fans a lot of times have blinders on it. I tell everybody this when I talk about job program team. Okay, you look at a, a an institution and they're in football. Okay, so okay, TCU, great team this year, right? Great team. Did it make it a better job? Slightly, yes, uh, by playing for the national championship. Did it make it a better program? Yeah, slightly, yes. But it didn't move the needle as much as it moved the needle for that particular team. One year does not a program or job make. Um, I think after Philip Fulmer left Tennessee, is Tennessee, when Lane Kiffin took over uh, and they went out for a coaching search, was their job really that good or was it a guy that built a program and had some great teams? You know, you got to ask yourself these questions and fans don't always see it that way, you know, cause they're just looking at, well, those guys suck. Who would want to invite them to a conference? All right. Pete Thamel reports, uh, Virginia and North Carolina are the two schools that both the big 10 and the sec mm-hmm. covet. And that's going to be the next battleground. And I you have, know, it does not surprise me at all. Uh, not only does it not surprise me, but for the, those that have been listening to this podcast, I've been saying now in, in terms of the SEC, I, I haven't honestly, I haven't looked at it so much from the Big Ten standpoint because I, when the Big Ten expansion comes up, I'm following the scent out west. I'm following the scent of Washington and Oregon. Right, so I haven't really been thinking of of uh, the Big Ten going into the ACC at this point. But 
I've said this for a while, all this talk about Florida State and Clemson, the SEC has Florida, the SEC has South Carolina, the state, the states. Uh, I could see them more intrigued to expand that footprint. It's like a game of risk. Did you ever play risk as a kid? You mm-hmm. get to move your army, you know, you roll the dice and you just get to keep moving your armies into another adjacent country, another adjacent, before you know it, you've got global domination. Um, I'm not saying they're looking for global domination, but what I am saying is that that map, where if you like just kind of picture in your mind a, a map of the, of the United States, and then, you know, it's all black, and then all of a sudden they take uh, whatever your color of choice is, red, and they turn red into all the SEC states. Well, I just think it's too enticing for a number of different reasons to expand that red into two more states, all contiguous. Greg Sankey loves to point that out. We are contiguous. They are not. We're connected. They are not. They're a bunch of just random all over the place, Conference USA type free for all. Mm. We are very calculated in the terms of who we add and who we don't add. I think that's the play. I think that's a ways off for all the rights, all the reasons we've already talked about with grant rights in the ACC. But I think, I think the first phone calls that are made are to those two programs in those two states and not Clemson and not Florida State. Uh, and I think that would surprise a lot of people because we all know Clemson and FSU have been better than North Carolina and Virginia in the sport of college football for the most part. They just have. And they've got more going for it in terms of uh, brand name, attendance, things of that nature. But it's not all about that. The SEC's got – they're oozing brand name. They're oozing attendance. And, and every, every other thing you can lead college football in, the SEC already has. Uh, but there is something appealing. Even though you're not launching a network and you're not worried about TV markets per se, it's they, to be able to expand that footprint I think is just too enticing. So I, I've been on that one for a while. I and. and I very much uh, respect Pete Thamel's reporting. I mentioned we're going to have him on in a couple of weeks, but um, that's not surprising to me. It's really not. Here's my question. I, knowing what I know about North Carolina and Virginia as institutions, my assumption would be they would want the Big Ten over the the SEC mm-hmm. because for the reasons that. You know, we now now look, Greg Sankey, if, if he gets in a recruiting battle, I kinda I don't know, you know, I kinda like it. Uh but um Well if it comes down to recruiting battle, then advantage SEC. <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh so so but but I'm saying let's assume that the the uh the academic uh elites there at the, the public Ivy schools of North Carolina, Virginia, go to the Big Ten. If you're the SEC, do you take Virginia Tech and NC State and, and just say let's go to war? In in these, because you're basically getting a more rabid football fan base and following, not as large as North Carolina, but a pretty good size one uh, in in NC State, uh, in the state of North Carolina. And but then in Virginia, you're getting a, not only a more rabid fan base, you're getting a school that's like three times the size with alums with with the Hokies. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, know, I, I've done that, games that have that, a large. That Virginia Tech has one of the largest alumni bases in DC. Period. Uh, no question. And, and uh, Charlottesville is a beautiful city, and uh, there's a lot to love about the the campus. It's fantastic, the program. But it 
it does leave some things to be desired. Okay. I mean, it's not, it's not, uh, it, it, it's it's not to the level of what a lot of SEC fans are used to from that standpoint. So yeah, look again. I, I've always made this analogy, and I'll keep making it. Uh, if this was a game of, and I just forgot the name of the game. I haven't played cards Risk. in so long. Well, no, no. I've, we've moved on for the board games. Now I'm going to card games. JC card games for three hundred, Alex. Uh, five card draw, right? Like you. And let's just. And I know I'm screwing with the rules here. I'm probably like mixing like Texas Hold'em five card draw and 500 rummy, but whatever. If we played a game where you get five cards and the and you're dealing around the table and the and let's say it's the you know the five uh, the five powers that be the five families if you will, uh, and and everybody the first four cards are face up, so you know what everybody has, and then the last card is face down, so that's the big the big surprise the big payoff. If you're Greg Sankey, you're showing four aces. It doesn't matter what that fifth card is. No matter what it is, you're going to finish with the best hand. And that's, again, I, and I don't say this like I, sometimes I I go through this where I'm like, I'm trying to fight myself from uh, banging the chest of the SEC more than it needs to be banged. But it's just the facts. Like there's there's no move here that all of a sudden the Big Ten is going to take over prominence. Now, the Big Ten, financially speaking, is doing better than everybody right now. That is going to be um, – that's going to change a bit in the coming years. There's, there's, a, there's a few TV things that are about to kick in, including the CBS deal, which was grossly underpaid for the SEC Game of the Week for years. How they got away with that, I'll never know. But, but now it's, it's going to – ESPN, ABC, and it's going to do that at a cost, which means more money in the TV packages for every SEC school. So I, I just say I say that because it's not because the Big Ten is poorly run or they're they're making all the wrong moves. They're making all the right moves. They're doing everything uh, fine, uh, but th- there's only so much you have to work with. And so sometimes you don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. Sometimes you just have to be sitting on the best <laughs> the best property in order to be the smartest guy in the room. And right now the best property is the SEC and it has been, and there's no reason to think it won't continue to be. Yeah. I mean, you have to think that. And I think, uh, I think the SEC too, when you kind of look at who, who have they added, right? Since 92. South the Carolina, University Arkansas, South Carolina, and Missouri. University of Arkansas, University of Missouri. You know, Texas, Texas A&M, but if they could have taken Texas, don't you think they would have taken Texas instead of Texas A&M? I think so. Yeah. I, think they would have, I think they've always coveted both. Uh, University of Oklahoma. You know, they like flagship, quote-unquote, flagship schools. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why the Virginia thing's fascinating to me, because although Virginia is a flagship school, and I understand why you want them, because of their academic profile, it gives North Carolina – a kind of uh, they're, they're like a travel partner, in other words. Oh, well, and uh, North Carolina, Virginia, next to Auburn and Georgia is the longest running rivalry in the South. Um, so I get it. I get it. But Virginia Tech essentially is the flagship school in that state. I mean, they're, they're, it's Virginia is a quasi-private-ish place, kind of like uh, maybe some other uh, university ofs out there that I can't 
think of off the top of my head. But anyway, it's fascinating to think about that. That's going to be kind of where the next battles are, are being are being raised, and it's not going to be some of these um, some of these brand names like uh, like we uh, like maybe the the prevailing thought out there is. Uh, you know, when it comes to well, because the, the, next the prevailing the prevailing thought is what other programs out there are that that resemble the best of the best in the SEC the most when it comes to facilities, crowd support, and success on the field. And the answer is Florida State and Clemson, yeah, not Virginia, North Carolina. But it is it hasn't always been all about that. If it was, you wouldn't have picked Missouri. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that would that, I mean, even Texas A&M, when you got Texas A&M, Texas A&M had a reputation in some ways underachieving. Like you've got all these terrific things. And, and yet, why are we winning eight games every year? The best team historically that they've brought in of the four until Texas and Oklahoma, who was your top five winning teams, obviously, was Arkansas. That's right. Because in the Southwest Conference, they uh, I was doing some research today about the Arkansas A&M game in Arlington, which, by the way, the Aggies have dominated, but it's typically like a field goal game. There's been three overtime games. A&M actually, though, is 7-1. and one. <laughs> They've won nine of the ten meetings against the Hogs, including 7-1 and one in Arlington, with four overtime games, a two-point game, a seven-point game, and a field goal game. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Uh, how that series is going, but I was looking at I didn't really Arkansas leads the overall series with A and M by eight games, even losing nine out of the last ten. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. South Carolina was a was a middle of the pack at best ACC program before they became independent. Had one good year to one ten win season that everybody thought was a miracle to their name. Um, before they came in, A and M historic underachiever. It's a lot like adding Arizona State. Uh, although they did have more success in South Carolina coming in. And Missouri, it, had it not been for Gary Pinkle, they were one of the worst programs in the country, you know, uh, before the Pinkle era. And so, yeah, it, it hasn't always been, with the exception of Texas and Oklahoma, you know, let's go make this thing harder. <laughs> and, and it's usually the thoughts, usually like who fits the profile. And, uh, you know, I, I think North Carolina and Virginia – institutionally fit the profile of a big 10 team a little better, but you know, that's still the mid, that's still the South. I mean, still the Southeast. Um, I, I think that adding schools like that also frankly help the academic end. I think it helps basketball when you have North Carolina and, and, and in these ACC teams too, I think a lot of them, what do you call them? Call them homebody schools. They kind of, you talk to most ACC fans and they kind of miss the days of the old neighborhood where, you know, it just went from Maryland to Tallahassee or Maryland to Atlanta and you could drive everywhere and, and yay, you know, fun. So uh, is North Carolina going to go be in a league with Southern Cal and Illinois and Northwest and go New York, Chicago, LA all the time. Now, I, don't, I don't know. That's a question they'd have to answer. Would you rather go as fans to, to those cities and go all the way across the country, or would you rather, you know, is it more exciting for you to go play at Tennessee? I think the answer is Tennessee. Um, I do think it's interesting. And I know we got to move on to other subjects here, but I do think it's interesting that we've barely even mentioned basketball and that still is always going to move 
the needle uh, as much as anything, more than anything, when it comes to Tar Heel fans. But the, the ACC lost its basketball prestige the moment they started adding all those teams from the Big East. And and that ha- it just it's changed the whole dynamic of it, the look of it. And if you look at the success rate over the last ten years, the ACC doesn't have this this special stretch of success over the other leagues. They just don't like it's. You know, you have to hope Tar Heels and Blue Devils are up at the same time, and and then you got to get some help. They need some help, and they're not getting that kind of help you'll have blips on the radar here and there you know virginia wins a national championship the one year ironically the year after they lose as the number one to a 16 um but you're not getting what you need out of nc state you're not getting what you need out of georgia tech you're not getting what you need out of wake forest you're not getting and go on and on and on and on and so miami is one of your better well well, they just had the breakthrough year miami did Um, and I don't, you know, I don't know if people are convinced that, that that's going to last forever, but, but yeah, I mean, that's, so it's just a different deal. We all know football is the, the biggest money maker of the all, but of them all, but there was a time where it wasn't just all about money and, and the basketball was the, the we'd be, we'd have to throw that into the discussion. And I don't know yeah. if, if it nearly uh, gets talked about the way it used to, when it comes to the decision makers in those rooms. I grew up on ACC basketball, Jefferson pilot game of the week. I mean, that's something we did around our house. Yeah. You know, I asked my dad, well, who's on it's, oh, it's NC state and Virginia. Or it's, it's Virginia and North Carolina, or it's wake and Georgia tech or whoever. And that, I mean, that's kind of what we did in upstate South Carolina. It was, and it was fun. It was like, that was our, I mean, it wasn't South Carolina's league. It was Clemson's league, but that was the league everybody liked. And now it's just like, who the hell wants to watch Boston College and Syracuse play Virginia Tech and Miami? I just, you know, you're right about that. Anyway, moving on. Early lines, early point spreads. How about this? What number are we on, um, by the way? Let's number keep five. This, number Sorry. Wow, we're on. Okay, number five. What do we got? My bad. Um, number five is um, early point spreads. So three, two of them I want to throw at you. All right. LSU is a three-point favorite over Florida State in Orlando on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And then I thought this was interesting. It's you know it's not a game we'll probably talk to death. But speaking of the ACC, Clemson, <laughs> and I don't know how this happens uh, because Duke has now been in two showcase games in the last however many years in the sport of college football on Labor Day weekend. Uh, they played Atlanta against Bama a few years back, and now. They're on the Labor Day night opener in Durham against the Clemson Tigers. Clemson's given up 12. I thought that was kind of an interesting line. Um, your thoughts about uh, early thoughts about those two games and, and and the line, the point spread and all that. My, my anticipation is they'll probably adjust some. Which but, one do you uh, think will move? I thought they were interesting. I think Florida State will come back toward LSU, and I think Clemson will probably end up like 15 and a half. That's – that's kind of what I'm guessing, but uh, yeah, yeah I, 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 did, I did watch Duke a few times last year, though, Mike, and Mike Elko really did a great job in his first year with very little expectations. They were physical. They could run the ball, had a nice offense, good quarterback, uh, tough on defense. Um, I know in, in Durham, you know, it's the opener for Clemson football, and knowing that bunch, they're 
they're probably going to have half the stadium painted orange at Wallace Wade, but uh, it is up there. I <laughs> I just I thought that was kind of an interesting line yeah. and kind of a nod, to, you know, more of a nod toward the respect I have for Elko, but also, you know, a a, a kind of chuckle about that being the Monday night Labor Day game. Uh, while at the same time thinking, well, you know, will it move? And, you know, how good could Duke and Clemson be this year? Well, first off, I actually had Duke uh, in kind of a off-the-beaten-path assignment last year, and I had no idea who Riley Leonard was going into the game. I came out thinking, oh, goodness, like this kid could play in the NFL in a couple of years. Like he is a remarkable athlete. And uh, you you won't think that because it's Duke. And then when you look at him, you're like, oh, is he really? He's just another six four. Is he even mobile? Yeah, he's mobile. Like we we showed a clip of him in high school. He's a great basketball player, doing a three sixty slam in a game. It's quarterback. Like he he's an athlete now. Uh, he's an impressive young man when you talk to him, and he's only a sophomore. So I, I the people that really follow the ins and outs of the ACC last year. If you saw Riley Leonard, chances are you're like, whoa. And you're right. Elko did one hell of a job. He really did. He just came in right there in year one and started to uh, stop me. If you've heard this before, change the culture. Um, <laughs> he, he he did all those things. And, um, and I, I, that's not a knock on, on David Cutcliffe. Cutcliffe was brilliant for a while. It just kind of fizzled out at the end. It's, it happens to, Every great coach that's ever done it, um, but but yeah, I think I think Duke, they don't have the athletes Clemson does, but they have a quarterback and a coach. And if you got a quarterback and a coach, you got a chance in college football. And you got like if you got a really good quarterback, which I think Riley Leonard can be that this year, and you got a coach who who has a background of of instilling toughness, and that's what he's trying to do with with Duke, which desperately needed that. Uh, then that becomes intriguing. The more intriguing game, of course, is Florida State LSU, and that's two of the last three teams I saw in person. Uh, Florida State in their Cheez It Bowl, which I, I I can now say I have the last commemorative Cheez It uh, box, Cheez It Bowl box, um, and watching that Florida State team looking really good. Your quarterback is back, coach now turning the corner. Uh, it just feels like Florida State is trending upward. And LSU, who I just had in the uh, spring game, and everything that they were last year, which won the West, they're better. Jane Daniels will be better. He's bigger. He's stronger. He's got elite receivers. He's got an offensive line that had to rely on two true freshmen blocking a tackle last year. They're now sophomores. Um, I think LSU is a better team. I think that point spread, honestly, JC, is right about where it should be. I mean, the, the game's in Orlando, so you would think, There'll be more Seminole fans there, um, but yeah, I know. I know it's technically it's a it's a split, and LSU fans definitely will not shy away from taking a trip to Orlando. Um, but yeah, I, I I think LSU is right right around a three point favorite in that game. I, if I were Vegas, that's where I'd put it. Yeah, you've seen them in person, and uh, yeah, I was just thinking about all the Jello shots the LSU <laughs> fans have brought in the Omaha this week. Yeah. My God. There, twenty one thousand eight hundred. <laughs> uh, I think the other closest one was fifty three hundred, and it was Wake Forest. So I was like, "Wow!" But you know, but as Wake Forest fans go, I would have to think, Mike, that most people that are Wake Forest fans probably did their damnedest to get out to Omaha this week from the College World Series. So mm-hmm. probably not a shocker there. All right, it's, uh, deep dive time. 
deep dive. So a quick deep dive on Colorado football. Um, I, I, I think it's interesting because we we're talking about Colorado football. Colorado football now has become one of the biggest subject lines in the sport, all because of one man and one hire, and it's Dion, right? Okay, and and I have no idea how it's going to work out. I've said this before, but not surprise me at all if it flops within three years. But it's going to be a fascinating watch no matter what happens. If it if he does turn it around, well, that's fascinating in a different way. This was once a very proud program. You and I are old enough to remember when they won a national championship in 1990. Like how many programs won a title in the 90s and then completely fell off the face of the earth of relevance? Because I'm trying to think of all the other programs that won it. You got Florida State, you got Florida, you got Nebraska winning three. I guess Georgia Tech would be the closest, right? Because they split a title as well. Yeah, Other than that, uh, everybody else is is pretty damn good. Yeah, right? Nebraska could be there. Uh, you know, I mean, Tennessee. Yeah, I mean, Nebraska's dipped. You're, you're, yeah, that's a, Tennessee dipped. But, yeah, look, no. Nobody went from championship level. Well, Georgia Tech, and ironically, that was the other they, one. Tech. Ironically, that was when two Georgia or who Colorado split the title with. Ooh. That's right. Um, you know, even Washington, who split a title in '91, bounced back, and they're really good now again. They've been to a playoff. Yeah, the great ones always come back. But yeah, man, I mean, it's uh, you're talking about a team that won. You know, the Big Twelve in '01 uh, under Gary Barnett. Uh, Bill McCartney got that thing going. Um, you know, even before that, they 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 were kind of a once every fifteen years surprise uh, in the Big Eight. But Bill Mallory won uh, eight games and and slid into the Big Eight title that year as a co-champion. But, but th- those great teams with uh, uh, you know, remember the tragic story of Saul Anessi who died of cancer. That was the quarterback. And Darian Hagan took over mm-hmm. and. They uh, they came us from Los Angeles and they ran the option and then, you know that sort of led to like Cordell Stewart, you know, in those years and 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 they had really good teams in the Big Twelve, um, you know, not a lot of people realize this. Yeah, they only won one Big Twelve title, but Gary Barnett played for the Big Twelve title, you know, four times. That's um, right. They won the North. Uh, yeah. Oh one. Oh two. Oh four. Oh five. Yeah. Now. I'll never forget watching that Texas. Uh, it was in Houston, I think. Texas, Colorado, in 05. Vince Young just destroyed their souls. But seventy uh, to three. But yeah, I mean they 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 rose up, and I mean they weren't a, you know a historically great team, um, and uh, they achieved greatness and sustained. And it was weird because you got to give Bill McCartney the credit for for building them right. But then he left, and they're pretty good under New Heisel, pretty good under Gary Barnett, you know. And then getting into the Pac-12 and also making just some of the dumbest, most horrendous hires I think I've ever seen, including the guy they just got rid of, Carl Durrell. I mean, you know, nobody blames them for hiring Dan Hawkins. You know, Dan Hawkins was winning big at Boise. You know, nobody brother. blames you for hiring New, hiring New Heisel. Mike McIntyre was winning at freaking San Diego State, but John well, he was Embry, coach of the year one year. McIntyre well, was. He did. Yeah, he did lead they them won in the, the Pac-12 title game. They won the Pac-12 South, amazingly yeah. enough. Um, you know, the, they've had great players too through the years. Michael Westbrook, Rashawn Salam. I mean, you know, but those are all those are all best. back to the Eric Bieniemy was McCartney. a good player too. Yeah. 
I mean, but, but McCartney had the formula, right? He tapped into California. He convinced kids in inner city California that Boulder, Colorado was cool, man. It's a cool place to don't, don't be like everybody else. Do something different. And he got them. And he's getting NFL players left and right. I mean, we're, we're talking about all the offensive guys. I mean, Alf, Alfred Williams, Dion Figures, they had studs on defense too. They they had it rocking and rolling, and and they were just. It looked like Colorado was going to be one of those programs that stayed relevant for a long, long time. And as you mentioned, I mean, from a conference standpoint, they joined the 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 Big Eight. Got to go back here. Because there's kind of a, some interesting history. They started in, in 1890, right? And you know, back in the 1890s, when uh, you know we were looking for horses and stuff, the you were an independent. Rush back in Colorado, man. yeah, they were exactly. Yeah, you, was there was a, a college there. Though? Yeah, there was a college in in Boulder, uh, and there was a football team back in 1890, and then. They joined the Skyline Conference. What a cool name for a league. The Skyline, 1938 to 1947. But then in, the, in 48, they joined the Big 8. And the Big 8 was, was really legit and had it rolling. And the Big 8 became the Big 12. And they were in that league from 96 to 2010. And then I will forever think it was a mistake to join the pack. Uh, I just, I just, that, to me, if, if you could have a mulligan, I think they would go back to the Big 12, and I would be not surprised. It would, would not be surprised if they do just that. If, if you've been to Boulder, and actually I'm about to go on a little vacation <clears throat> vacation here, going to Denver, going to check out Boulder again. But I, I, I did a game there years ago. It's a beautiful city, cool stadium. Just a, It's just a cool vibe about uh, everything there. A little bit different, as, as most things out west are. But a, a lot of things to like about it, so it's it's still an appealing appealing place. I just don't know where it fits in the in the pack and its current existence. But they had all that success under McCartney, including a national title, an eleven and one season in nineteen ninety. They wind up winning the Orange Bowl. By the way, remember the final score of that Orange Bowl? How about ten to nine? <laughs> oh yeah. A ten to nine thriller. Who could I forget the ten to nine win yeah. over Notre Dame? Yeah, Rocket Ishmael's team. That's Notre right. Dame. There's a rematch of the '89 Orange Bowl, which Notre Dame spanked Colorado twenty-one to six. At that point, you thought Colorado could do no wrong, and they they did go on to win the Big Eight again in 1991. And then things happened, and McCartney's gone, and. Uh, before you know it, Gary Barnett takes over. Look, Gary Barnett, as you mentioned, JC, they win the Big 12 North four times. They win the Big 12 in 2001, not so bad. But then they take another dip and another dip. And then, yeah, Carl Durrell happened. And uh, Colorado just continued to go further and further into the abyss. And so now the question becomes, by the way, one, one pro football Hall of Famer to come out of Colorado. Any idea who that is? Give me a clue. A wide receiver in the National Football League Hall of Fame played his college ball in Boulder. Ranch? Very not. Come on now. Did you just know that off the top of your head? 
No, Mike, I'm actually, just to be honest with you, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page. Okay, I was like going to say. Pro- no, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm I was like, I saw it. I know, because I, I know a lot of, that was before my time. That was in the 70s, I think, but I remember, like, because T.J. Pritchard was really good that came out of there. Flanagan was, I mean, they had some really good receivers. Oh, but, they had great, yeah. Uh, uh, Pritchard, yeah. Charles Johnson, Michael Westbrook. Jeez, Charles Johnson, freak. Yeah. yeah. Michael Westbrook, freak. Cordell uh, Ray Carruth. Yeah, uh, Caruth, was from Colorado for whatever yeah, that didn't end well. Yeah, so, yeah. But, Rashawn uh, Salam yeah, he won a Heisman Trophy. Uh, anyway, yeah, as a running back, yeah. I mean, they, so, were, they were really good. Colorado was at one point a power, and obviously they're thinking, why can't we be a power again? And is Dion going to take them to the promised land? We shall see. But a uh, little deep dive there on the Colorado Buffaloes. And now this about when Dion Dion in that job because I remember Dion was at Florida State when Colorado was really really good was one of the because Dion yeah. was like eighty eight eighty nine ish eighty eight ish at Florida State and so kind of during his time in college football the Buffs were amazing you know they got good fans shoot I think it's uh I think it's worth a shot we'll see I mean I. I Agree, disagree, whatever. What Dion's doing, it you know, it's not the fans' fault that he cut seventy players or whatever, and it's not Ralphie's fault, right? I can't blame it on Ralphie, which, by the way, is every is even cooler um, in person. I'm looking at this now from 2006. That was year one of Hawkins, all the way through John Embry, Mike McIntyre, and Mel Tucker. And Carl Durrell. Carl Durrell. From 2006 on, Colorado football has had one winning season. 2016, Mike McIntyre, 10 and 4, went to the Alamo Bowl. Since then, 5 and 7, 5 and 7, 5 and 7, 4 and 8, 1 and 11. I'm not counting the COVID year. You know, um, you know how we talk about sometimes hires that look great on paper, but they don't they don't work out? Mm-hmm. That sent them into a tailspin because that was Dan. That was the Hawkins hire. Because like so, Dan Hawkins replaced Houston Nutt at Boise State and won big, and then Chris Peterson was his OC at Boise. Come to find out, Peterson was really the guy that was making it go, <laughs> and Hawkins fell flat on his face there. Um, but yeah, I mean that. When, when when Barnett hung it up and they brought in Dan Hawkins, they're like, all right, away we go. Dan and hired and, a, inherited a program under Barnett that had a winning record four out of five years. Okay. Dan went two and ten, six and seven, five and seven, three and nine, five and seven, and then got whacked. It's then came John Embry. You're intramurals, brother. Then you bring in John Embry, which was kind of like a you know, a, a case of the 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 warm and fuzzies he's one of yeah. us he he you know and you had i think i remember because i was out there for a game eric b was the offensive coordinator they went three and ten the year i was out there to do a game they went one and eleven and within uh i had them the, they lost to utah at home within 24 hours the whole staff was fired john Embry went on a rant and Eric Bieniemy obviously went on to bigger and better things, but that was the end of that era. Then Mike McIntyre, 
who has the 10 and four year, and then they follow that up with five and seven, five and seven. You fire him, you bring in Mel Tucker. He goes five and seven. And it's, it's like five and seven. Clearly he should be paid a boat sum of money to go to Michigan state. And he's, he's there now ever since. And then, and then Mel Tucker's gone. Who, who got to get Carl? Who decided to hire Carl Durrell? I, <laughs> I just, know. you know, I'm like, I don't know. It's, it's not like Carl Durrell had ties to the school. I mean, Durrell was, was born in California, played for UCLA. Um, Fired from his album, Mata. He he wasn't well. He was a okay. I mean, Darrell was an assistant at Colorado in the early nineties, but that's that's about it. That's yeah. That's, it, it was the OC at Vanderbilt for that year that Derek Mason took over a a, a, a nine and four team with a lot of the same players coming back from James Franklin and proceeded to go zero and eight and have the worst offense in the league in the SEC. Yeah, then he's coaching receivers for the Jets, big time, right? Receivers for the Dolphins. Mm-hmm. I, you know, look, Carl Durrell had one win at UCLA. One year, he had no business doing it, and it was it was 07, or maybe it was 06. It, it, was, it was 06. He had no business beating SC, and they beat SC. <laughs> and uh, one of those really good Pete Carroll te- teams. But that was it. That was the highlight of his career, man. Uh, I don't know who thought after the Mel Tucker one and done that that was the that was the idea. Hey, let's go get Carl Durrell. That's that's where they went. That's where they went. So now it's now it's Dion, and we'll see if they can get it back. But that is your uh, your deep dive into the Colorado Buffaloes. All right, time mm-hmm. for the mailbag. If you haven't already checked out the website, go to jcmorgan.com. We'd love to hear from you. Just go to the top. In fact, I'm looking at it right now. You go to the top. You hit the little line button there. It says mailbag. You hit mailbag. You type in your name. You type in an email address, and you type in your question. Here we go. Uh, which one do you want to go to first? You know what? Let's go to our, our Texas guy, right? We got a We got a nice email here. From our Texas guy, which of course I promptly misplaced while we were looking up other things. Let's go to another guy. <laughs> Get back to the Texas guy. Uh, AD in Memphis. Who's your favorite to be the quarterback at Florida? Could Florida football be relevant again? And Billy Napier's offense seems kind of boring. First game is at Utah. Yikes. JC, your thoughts? Graham Mertz from Wisconsin, who's probably going to be better AD than uh, what people think. He's kind of a game manager. Florida's going to have to run the football effectively to uh, have a good offense this year. I know there's some questions on defense as well. Uh, Shoot, man. You you want to talk about a model of consistency in the Rocky Mountains. That's that's Kyle Whittingham's program up at the University of Utah in Salt Lake. I mean, they – they beat Southern Cal's butt by being more physical uh, last year in the regular season. And then they go to Vegas and they do it again. I mean, just smacked them in the face. I mean, I I love the way Utah plays. Uh, Florida is a team that obviously can be more athletic and physical when they want to be. But going out there Thursday night, you don't just walk into Rice-Eccles Stadium and, and, and light them up. I do think this, though. There's going to be a lot of talk about Utah getting revenge in this one. And Graham Mertz is just good enough, and they have just good enough skill talent 
and they're just good enough at they always have athletes to where if Utah just comes out and like focuses on trying to blow them out rather than you know playing sound fundamental football and being the better team, Florida could just like they did last year sneak a win. Just they like last be, year. They they should yeah, I mean, people be like Anthony Richardson, top ten pick. Anthony Richardson was not a very good college quarterback. Mm. He just wasn't. Um, that is a classic upside pick, much like you you see very often in, in the NBA and their draft. There's no there's no reason they can't have better quarterback play, although Mertz was hardly a rock star at Wisconsin. He was there for four years. He threw 38 touchdowns, 26 picks. Um, but if it's not him, it's not like there's a great plan B. There's Jack Miller. That's pretty much it from what I understand after spring ball. It, it Mertz is the guy. Like there's nobody that really emerged to take over that slot. Look, if you look at that schedule, I think a good year for Florida would be eight wins. If you could somehow squeak out an eight and four, uh, you're, then you, you take it as a sign of progress. You take it as a sign of much like Florida State this year. You take it as a sign of what well, we're, we're trending upwards and people are starting to th- figure, see the bright side of Billy Napier. You didn't see any of that in year one, but to be fair to Billy Napier, you don't. You rarely do see that in year one. So now in year two, this is not the old days of pre-portal, pre. Well, you got to give them coach four or five years to really. No, we don't. We don't live in that world anymore. It's you're the coach of Florida. You came in here. There was some talent. Uh, you're the one that's supposed to bring in more talent. And you're supposed to coach them up to do what Dan Mullen didn't do. So far, where's the return on investment? That they expect to see some return on the investment in year two. So we'll see how that shakes up over time. Uh, what do we got here? Bryce. Bryce from Texas. Yeah. Bryce from Texas. Love hearing from the Lone Star State. How would, how would y'all rank the SEC powers now that Texas and OU are not a part of the, uh, are now part of the conference with Texas stacking back to back top five recruiting classes. How long do you think it'll take Texas to compete for the SEC championship really cool to see y'all's new website and see y'all continue to grow appreciate that bryce thank you jc take uh the first shot at that you know as far as where they rank right now i think both both texas and ou would have been middle of the pack or below uh i don't think they were as good as either mississippi last year i don't think they were as good as south carolina last year on some days they weren't as good as florida definitely weren't as good as tennessee if you're talking at the beginning of the year, probably not as good as Arkansas. Um, down there, kind of A&M's area, uh, which, look, to A&M's credit, they, they played a lot of – had a lot of close losses and then, you know, smacked LSU at the end. So, uh, But, but I, I think with Oklahoma last season specifically, they lost so many guys uh, to the portal that Lincoln Riley did. And they got some in, but it just wasn't the same. So that – I'm not surprised they went six and seven, and they played – Florida State off their feet in the bowl game. Uh, Texas, to me, and look, I, I'm, they, they're recruiting really well. They always do. I, I think one of two things is going to happen because it, it, it's either sink or swim, you know, uh, or fight or flight or what do they call it? Fight or flight? Fight or flight. <laughs> um, Texas has been so soft for so long. Uh, and when I say soft – I'm not saying that on a good day they can't go up and go toe-to-toe with Alabama because they're as talented as anybody in the country. It's almost mental 
Cause, cause you go and you're, you're rocking and rolling and you know, you got all this talent and yeah, you know, we took Alabama to the wire. Well then TCU comes in for a huge game and just punks you, you know, and you got B. John Robinson is one of the best running backs in the country last year. And you still went eight and five. Now, Texas A&M and Missouri largely had those types of problems as well. Uh, you can go look at some A&M games when they got in bowl games, particularly at Independence Bowl uh, one year where they played Georgia, and it wasn't a great Georgia team. It was a, one of the Rick teams, and Georgia just mauled them. They were just more physical. It just it wasn't even close. Well, I think everybody kind of thought the same thing. Those schools are going to come in the big, bad SEC and get their butt kicked. Well, they fought. You know, it took Missouri a year, but hey, guess what? We found out Missouri had been recruiting pretty damn well on the defensive line with Michael Sam and all those other lunatics they had on that side of the ball. They had a really good defense, like an SEC team. They had a good running quarterback in Frank, like an SEC team. Uh, and and they were fine the first couple of years. A&M, thanks in large part to Johnny Football and Cliff, King, Cliff Kingsbury, became a matchup nightmare on offense for one year. But then... At the same time, you know, their defense manned up and played more physical and got better. So those two teams fought when they got thrown into the league. What's Texas going to do? Are we going to see the Texas that said, hey, Alabama, you're coming into our house and, you know, we're going to man man you up? Uh, yeah, I think in those games you'll see Texas do that. What's going to happen when they go to Mississippi State? What's going to happen when they go to Ole Miss? What's going to happen when they visit Kentucky and, and that bunch for a Saturday night game and they're hanging, the big blue nations hanging from the Raptors and, you know, Mark Stoops, if anything, is going to be more physical than you are. You know, I that that's my question about those schools so much is, you know, the SEC is, is so much about sustaining everything. Um, and, and you have to, you know – you need to get up back to back to back weekends. And unfortunately, if you're Texas uh, and really Oklahoma at times too, I mean, how many times has Oklahoma lost to Kansas state in the last five years? You know why it's because Kansas state's usually the tougher team and gives them problems. So, um, you know, th- that's my question there is can, can these, these two teams get to be consistent right now? I'd say middle of the pack at best. But like I said, with A&M and Missouri, those guys came in and they pulled up their big boy pants. And they they did what it took and they competed, you know. And I'm not saying either one's done anything great in the league, but they compete. You know, they're not pushovers. So uh, we'll see what happens with these two 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 programs. But that that's my take right now is can you get that consistent toughness that it takes to go and keep from getting embarrassed week in and week out? Yeah, I um. I want to believe Sark is like they've settled on Sark. Um, they, they've learned that the flavor of the month, which was Charlie Strong, which was Tom Herman, both failed miserably. That you 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 learn from those things, right? And and maybe you've dialed back the. Well, we we're Texas. We we get anything we want, and therefore we should win. Every time we want to, you, you got humbled a bit. You got humbled a bit in the Big Twelve with those two hires. You mentioned some of the more recent struggles. If they could have closed out that win against Alabama last year, that would have gone a long way. Uh, but I, I have a feeling like 
I, I think Texas is going to be pretty strong. It's just a, everything is relative. Like you're saying middle of the pack, I would say <laughs> upper middle, if there is such a thing. Like, okay, not the top four. But if, if we have 16 teams now, we break it into quadrants, right? Mm-hmm. Top four, second four, third four, fourth four. I think Texas, the goal early on is to be in that second quadrant. To be, you're not going to be top four right away, but maybe five or six. And then slowly but gradually, you sell the SEC in recruiting, you sell the SEC in the portal, you continue to get better, you continue to build a solid ground with your coaching staff. Again, that goes back to Sark and not constantly trying to fire a coach and have boosters try to uh, rock the apple cart. I, I, I think Texas is going to be fine, honestly. They're just – look, even when the, things were rolling under Mac, they won one title, they played for another title, right? I mean, it's not like they were – it's not like they were crushing a, a three out of four-year streak or a two out of five-year streak. They were they were really good in some spurts, and then they were like – they were good, not great. They only I, I won think, three Big Twelves. Yeah, I mean, all time league, you know. Yeah, which how many years was that? Oh, they it's ongoing. It. I mean, I, I guess I think when did the Big Twelve start? Like they ninety ninety five something. Like that? Yeah, it was and a long was, time. Yeah, I mean, ninety six. Yeah, well, because Oklahoma was. I mean, Oklahoma's Bob Stoops on Oklahoma owned the Big Twelve. I mean, it was like a few exceptions here and there. But Bob Stoops and his and his crew just they basically said we we got this we know you're Texas but we're we're going to take things over now, um, but no I think I think that second that second quadrant is where you, where you start off where the goal is you're not going to go in there and start being Georgia Bama LSU and then whoever the fourth team might be could be Oklahoma if uh, Venables gets it back after a, a a pretty rocky first year but that to me that would be the the starting point for for Texas. Uh, we got time for one more. Or you got another one. I, I'll 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 get one more in here because I know we're way over time <laughs> talking about that damn submarine. Uh, this is from Matt in Birmingham with the new rule changes coming up this year to reduce time of college football games, especially moving the clock uh, <clears throat> on first downs, except with the ball in the last two minutes of halves. No consecutive timeouts. What are the biggest adjustments teams and players need to do to be prepared? We still see some teams and players adjusting in Major League Baseball with their clock management. Hmm. I I don't know. I think you know. Usually, they did something like this, like I said back in '03, and it really wasn't an issue with the. The coaches, I, I think coaches pretty much practice if there's a change like this and coach people up and have scrimmages. And um, I think I think it is something they got to be aware of. But I would be surprised if it was some sort of issue in game that we see that that cost anybody anything. So I I think yeah. they'll be fine with it. Yeah, I don't think there's going to be a. Ma- I mean, there, there's going to be a drop off in plays for some teams. Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of teams that, that run tempo, like that's kind of the end game is we're, we're, by the time we get to 90 plays, you're going to be so gassed. You're not going to be nearly as effective on defense. Well, chances are now you might not get to 90, you know, there's going to be a little bit of a reduction there, but no, I don't, I don't think from in terms of actual game planning, 
I don't think there'll be a uh, a major thing. I, I'm on record. I'm not a huge fan of eliminating the stop of the clock on first downs. I don't think we needed to do that. I think there was other things we could have done to uh, to to speed things up. I don't know why we need 20 minutes at halftime. I get it, the bands, but come on, cut a, cut a song out. Is the trombone player going to be all right with that? I think so. I think mm-hmm. so. But anyway, that's uh, that's all. I appreciate uh, you folks. And again, go to the website, jcnmorgan.com. Go to Mailbag. We'll read some more of those next week on the show. Okay, five and dime as we wrap things up. Again, uh, This is the uh, these are the remote dropping movies that you'll often see on cable, maybe on Netflix or some streaming service. And for whatever reason, when it's on, you can't get enough. Maybe even you decide that you got to put a movie on, you find it. You've seen it 10 times. You know every line. You're going for it again. We're going with an all Affleck trio. <laughs> we're starting We're starting with the town. Fivers, you've seen it five times. That's a nickel. A dime, you've seen it at least 10 times or more. Uh, neither would be, just as it would imply, not five or 10. Maybe you're just not a big fan of the movie. I'll start off with the town. It's a dimer plus for me. Uh, probably mm. not quite to twenty, but it's gay. I, I love that movie. I think it's uh, it's underrated. Uh, Renner's good in it. Batfleck's good. The girl's good. It's a bank robber movie, but it's still. I mean, it's good. I, yeah. I, I, I'm going with uh, yeah, and I, I may watch it today. <laughs> Renner's great. Affleck, I I go back and forth on Affleck. There are times I like him. There are other times that. Uh, I think he's got the most punchable face in Hollywood. But in spite of that, and in spite of a guy that's from Boston actually doing a worse Boston accent than somebody who's not from Boston, uh, I like it's a fiver for me. If we're talking bank robber movies and the town is on TNT and um, Heat is on any other uh, channel, yeah, it's it's I'm, Heat, tenants, you know, Pacino. And, I'm watching you know, Heat, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but. So, Dog Day Afternoon was on the other day. Uh, that's, that's so freaking good. Yeah, I like um, to tell the dialogue in the town got me. I, mean, I like the lines and stuff. I think it's a, it's yeah, a well-written yeah. piece. And, it's a, it's a good movie. You know, uh, it's a nickel for me. It's Chris a nickel. Cooper's really good at it too. So Cooper's good in everything. Um, yeah. all right. So dime for me, dime for you, nickel for me, chasing Amy. There's going to be a lot of people listening to this. They're like, what the hell is chasing Amy? Mm. Never heard of it. Um, it, it's it's Ben Affleck's coming out party. It's a Kevin Smith movie right after Clerks. Remember when Kevin Smith was relevant? He did this movie. Uh, I won't get into the plot. There are children in the car. But um, I, for me, this is a dimer. I don't know why this movie just, just hit me. And I, I think Affleck is actually really good in it. You've got um, Jay and Silent Bob. See, I saw this before I ever saw Clerks. I didn't know what Clerks was. And my friend of mine was like, well, if you've seen Chasing Amy, you got to go see Clerks. That's Kevin Smith's. That's his godfather. Uh, so Chasing Amy, a very underrated flick for me. I, I For me, it's a dimer. Mute button? I had to think about that. No, okay. I was thinking. It's somewhere between. Do you think better with the mute button on? <laughs> Yeah, well, sometimes I put the beat button on because my the microphone picks up me breathing and stuff. Oh, we can't have that. So like Darth Vader, I have Colton, you know. So anyway, that could be all right. uh, it, It's between a nah. It's a dimer plus man because when I was like in college, like that age, 
Yeah. It was one of those movies that like was just part of what you loved. Like uh, it is Empire Records, Clerks, Mallrats, Ch- Clerks, Mallrats, Chasing Amy. That was like the Star Wars, Return of the Jedi, Empire Strikes Back. I mean, mm-hmm. it was it was like that. Uh, Rocky one, two, three, whatever. I mean, it was that that you know, reality bites, singles, uh, all those movies. Um, yeah, you know, all kind of were part of my high, late high school, early college experience. So uh, I've seen it more. I just haven't seen it recently. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm glad I've been re- reminded of it lately. Yeah, so. it's hard hard to find. Uh, but when I think Affleck, uh, that's one of the first ones I think of. I know I'm in the minority on that one. Uh, one last one, and this was Affleck's baby. I'm pretty sure he directed this in addition to starring in it. Argo. Argo, blank yourself. I've seen it tw- once. I liked it. It just wasn't something I've ever had a chance to watch again. I love the story. And I mean, that Iranian situation is pretty doggone interesting to me, but uh, yeah. didn't, uh, didn't go back to it for some reason. I don't know. You know, it could be more uh, down the road. It, it's I'm right there with you. It was like two and done for me. Um, and you know, you know how I do. It's based on a true story. <laughs> Had to take a deep dive. A lot of creative license in this. You would have thought one president who was not exactly a hero all in all this was made out to be a hero, and another president that helped free the hostages. It's like uh, it's like an afterthought. Um, mm-hmm. There was also they weren't chasing the plane, you know, shooting as it was taking off with the hostages. That never happened. There's a lot of things about this movie that are not remotely accurate. <laughs> but it's it's <laughs> if you can just if you can have a willing suspension of disbelief, which is what you learn in theater class and and and, and not let that bother you. Uh, it's it's well acted. There's there's great performances in there. And, yeah, I enjoyed it. I, the, the subject matter. I like anything historical. Again, nobody's wearing a cape and nobody has a superpower. So it's it's a movie for an adult. And uh, I do appreciate that. But, yeah, I. I Maybe someday it'll reach nickel status, maybe. Uh, but for right now, it's it's neither. It's short of that. There you go. A Ben Affleck five and dime special <laughs> right there. Awesome. Gotta love that. Gotta love that. JC, uh, people seem to love this podcast. That's what they tell me anyway. If they do or if they haven't already fallen in love, what more do they need to do? Go to jcmorgan.com. Uh, there's uh, instructions on how to subscribe to the uh, podcast on Apple Pod. We're everywhere. Apple Pods, Google Play, Spotify, Audible, uh, the iHeartRadio app. Um, just about anywhere you find podcasts, you can find us. Also, uh, the mailbag feature right there on our website, jcmorgan.com. A lot of good mailbag questions this week, and we're looking forward to some more, especially uh, appreciate those questions about, you know, that we, you know, we don't always get to Texas, and we don't always get to – you know some other Birmingham, schools out there. Alabama. Yeah, uh, nice so to hear, I'm uh, happy to happy to hear from you guys. So uh, just uh, keep keep rocking and rolling, and we'd love to interact with you in that manner. And we got some other things coming up real soon that'll be uh, pretty exciting as well. So. Yeah, keep uh, expanding. Uh, we can't bribe you for good reviews, but if you have something nice to say, by all means, go ahead and uh, put it on there. Uh, we've gone way over time without a guest. I think we've been so structured here the last few weeks with guests that we just. We just wanted to ramble on a little bit more than usual. We did that. Uh, We'll be back with you a little more concise perhaps next week. Maybe not. You just don't know how it's going to strike us. We shall see. (laughs) Hey, oh, one thing I forgot (laughs) to say. July 4th is coming up. Uh, 
you need stickers for your Yeti cooler, mm. email JC and Morgan at gmail.com. Your full name, address. I'll mail you out a free JC and Morgan sticker for your cooler so you can represent. Not for $49.95, not for $29.95, not Zero. even for $9.95. Flat Zero. out free. If it's free, it's me. It's free. Rock it. Get that Plus sticker there. with the logo, which is looking awfully sharp and eventually might add a football to it, but that's a whole Absolutely. other story. Hey, that's going to do it for us for JC. It's Mike. Enjoy a terrific weekend, and we'll see you next week. So long.